It's that time of the week again. You are about to participate in a great adventure. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop? What the hell do you think you're doing? It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris. Oh my God! As they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. I wouldn't do that if I were you. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. It's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. As well as the music of today. Excuse me while I whip this out. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Who are those guys? Digital Kill the Radio Star starts Come on, quit stalling! Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. This is your host, David. It's been a few weeks since... Um, We've uh, gotten spoken with you, and I do apologize for that, but uh, I've got a couple of podcasts planned for the next couple of weeks, so we should be good to go. Uh, Chris uh, was unable to join us this week, but I have a suitable replacement for him. Um, before we get started, I do want to ask you to follow us on Twitter at Digital Killed, like our page on, page on Facebook, and uh, follow us on Instagram and subscribe on whatever uh, format you so choose to listen to um, your podcast and leave us a review and we'll get a little something in the mail to you for that. Uh, taking taking your time to um, uh, leave us a review on iTunes or Facebook. So uh, a couple weeks ago, I had Dave Chamberlain on my podcast from uh, Athens, Georgia. He uh, did a podcast with us promoting Nucci Space, and uh, we used that as an excuse to talk about uh, drive by truckers and. Uh, Got a lot of good reaction uh, to that podcast, and um, I really enjoyed doing it. And so Dave and I uh, kind of become uh, music nerd friends, and I've uh, been texting each other back and forth. And I told him I wanted to have him on again to do another podcast. And so uh, we kind of kicked some ideas around, and we came up with a, uh, a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers uh, um, subject that I think uh, you're all going to really enjoy. So uh, before we get into that, Dave, how are you doing? Doing well, David. Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me back, and I'm excited to talk about one of my favorite Tom Petty albums. Uh, anytime. I, as, as I was telling you last night, um, uh, Dave was texting me other bands that he likes and his thoughts on other bands and albums and stuff, and I texted him back. I said, you may be my spirit animal. Yeah, uh, man. So uh, we have a lot in common, which is, uh, which is good. So uh, the album that we're going to talk about today is Echo, released in 1999 by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And uh, this is by far the darkest album that Tom Petty has ever recorded. And um, it's one that's largely overlooked um, by, by, the band, by him and the band and uh, a lot of people because it really didn't have like a big radio hit. Uh, and we're going to get into maybe why that was and 
why they look at the album um, the way they do. But Dave, I, I've I've talked about Tom Petty at length on here before, so people don't need to hear me repeat that. But kind of, what, what are your thoughts on Petty, and, and how did you get into him, and just uh, you know, um, just your your overall thoughts on, on him as a songwriter and as as a performer? <clears throat> well, he's I mean, he's just one of those people. I mean, I was born in 1977, and I think uh, his first album came out the year before. So it's just been it's been there for my entire life. But I think when it first uh, became something that was something I I grabbed a hold on to, as opposed to just stuff that was on in the background, is uh, his that greatest hits album with Mary Jane's Last Dance came out uh, the summer I got my driver's license, and so I had that just you know being 16 years old in the summertime and listening to that um it was just the perfect soundtrack for uh for a 16 year old driving around out in the country in, in indiana like me and uh didn't hurt that with last chance and mary last chance with mary jane with the shout out to the indiana boys sort of thing like just that spoke to me in that way um and then um and then i you know like then i like went back i got full moon fever like those songs were just everywhere and then I think the one though that really became my uh, my own like that I bought when it first came out was Wildflowers came out when I was about seventeen and I just was hooked on that from the start and just I had that CD in my car for like five years straight and barely left it. You know, Wildflowers is an album that I didn't really grow to appreciate until years later. Um, I had uh, you're uh, so you were born seventy seven, so you're year younger than me. So our petty. Um, our petty time is probably uh, about the same. Full Moon Fever, I bought it when it came out and uh, really liked it, especially like the first half. And then, uh, you know, Into the Great Wide Open came out and yeah. I don't think I had it. And then I was in college and Wildflowers came out and I got it. And at the time, it was a little too mellow for me. Um, yeah. You know, I was at that time, I was more into like widespread panic and stuff like that. And uh, I thought it was a little too mellow, but it was years later, you know, after you after reading constantly how people think that's one of the best albums of the 90s and that's Petty's best album, that I really sat down and gave it its just due. And, and now, I mean, it's 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 one of my favorite albums from that time frame. And um, it's either one or two as far as my favorite Petty albums with Echo. It just kind of depends on on the day, really. Yeah, I hear you. I, it is a little bit of a downer for to think about. Like the like both Wildflowers and Echo are are pretty heavy and not probably the type of music that you know like teenagers and people in their in college would maybe be drawn to. But I was always the type of person who listened to music a lot, kind of on their own, and was you know I wasn't afraid of a sad song, I guess. So uh, I think it spoke to me in that way, and uh, I think that's part part of what uh, what makes him such a powerful writer is that. He's, you know, he's touching on things that are universal. He's, you know, he's like 25, 30 years older than you and I. And that when he's in his forties can be touching on these, you know, human emotions that, that a 17 and 18 year old can, can relate to in some way. And so I think that's part of just, just why, I mean, everybody loves Tom Petty on, on some level or another. Well, you've talked about wildflowers. Did, were you a fan of the, she's the one soundtrack? I was, I, I was, I think that was part of it. I think is just, uh, I really liked, uh, you know, like with these, um, I mean, I loved the one like full moon fever and into the great wide open. I mean, those songs were everywhere, but 
something about I think the these Rick Rubin trilogy here that he produced with Wildflowers and, and then She's the One and then Echo. Um, uh, I just I just really uh, those were I think those were the three albums that were kind of my you know, like during that age when you're 17 to 21 and kind of in your coming of age time. And so, yeah, I listen, same, same deal. I, I love the She's the One soundtrack, which is another one that he never liked. Yeah. My, my co-host, Chris, he really likes um, that album. And I think um, Walls, I think is probably his favorite Tom Petty song. Um, so Echo comes out and uh, I remember when it came out, um, I guess the first single was Room at the Top, I think, if I remember correctly, which is an interesting song to lead off an album and much less be your, your lead single because um, it is kind of a you know a more mellow song from him. But w- when the album came out, um, I remember um, getting it and I was like, man, this is this is dark. It's, you know, it's, he's being a Debbie Downer, you know, where's, yeah. uh, where's free falling, you know, where's, right, right. you know, even the losers and stuff like that. But, um, so honestly, I kind of set it aside for a while. It wasn't to three or four years later that, I, you know, came to realize how great of an album it was. So what was your initial impression when you, when, when you got the album? Um, I don't. I could be. I don't know if it was the first single or not, but the first song I remember hearing off of it, at least on the radio station where I was at, was "Free Girl Now." Mm-hmm. And that one, that one, you know, was like that sounds more like a single, I guess, just being that it's got a little, just more rocking and kind of more of a melodic. Yeah, I don't know. It's just more of like what you would expect from a kind of like in the same vein as like "You Wreck Me" or something, where you know it's just a straight ahead rocker. Um, so. You know, back in those days, that was probably the only thing I had heard before I got the album. But I love Wildflowers, and she's the one so much that I'm sure I bought it right away. And the way I just remember, I was a, I would have been like a junior in college, and I, I think I, I remember just listening to it in my car and listening to it in my disc man while I was, you know, like working in the computer lab. Um, and just, I think I, I, I absorbed it right away, and, um, and it, and it definitely, I remember. There was a there was a part of it that you know it definitely kind of dragged. You know, it's 15 songs long, and it's a lot of songs are kind of long and, and dark. And um, but I think that I don't know something about it. It was uh, I I was into it right away. So um, again, it seems like an odd album to listen to when you're should be carefree and 21 years old. But um, you know, I was for whatever reason it, it spoke to me at the time. Well, it spoke to a lot of people. Um that that are you know that that are petty fans and um i think it's one of those ones that if you go back and you see like on wikipedia or whatever people go back and do a a retro review it's i think it's one of those ones that's just it gets better with age um more and more people i think realize how good of an album it is and we said earlier it came out in 1999 and it was somewhat of a turning point for the band or the end of an era it was the last, you know, album that Petty did with Rick Rubin, and then it was the last album to feature Howie Epstein, who was the bass player. And I did not really realize until I watched the uh, Running Down a Dream documentary how integral Howie Epstein was to the band. And I believe they even say in there that that Howie's the best musician that's ever played in the Heartbreakers. And when you think about that, that's a bold statement because Ben Montench 
a lot of people think you know he's the secret sauce in the Heartbreakers, and then of course Mike Campbell's been with Petty every step of the way, regardless of what incarnation they're playing in. And so um, Howie at the time was going through just major heroin issues, which would eventually kill him a couple of years later. He would he would die from complications of I think of an overdose. Um, so like we like we said, it's the the third album that uh was it the third album that Rubin did he did wildflowers she's the one and echo isn't that right yep that's it all right and so at the time you know rick rubin kind of had the midas touch with everything and you know he he was really he's really good at taking people and getting them outside their comfort zone like what he did with johnny cash um, for instance and then with petty you know he really took him out of his comfort zone with wildflowers and um, Petty really gets out of his comfort zone on this album. So th- there were three main singles that were released: uh, "Free Girl Now," "Room at the Top," and uh, and "Swinging." Um, and um, none of those just really—I don't remember them making a real big dent in the radio in airplay. Did you, Dave? No, I don't think so. Like I said, I, I vaguely remember "Free Girl Now" as kind of the single they played before the album came out. And then um, I I do remember him playing um, that spring spring of '99. I remember him playing. Uh, I think it was Room at the Top and Swinging on Saturday Night Live. Right. And so you know, that was at the time still kind of a a way that you know like a mainstream rock band would would uh, would promote their album and stuff. But yeah, I don't I don't none of them. I mean, when you think compared to what he was coming from with. You know, Full Moon Fever and Into the Great Wide Open and, and even Wildflowers, you know, had a couple of more radio friendly songs. But yeah, I don't think I don't think this one really had any uh had any staying power. And you know, like I kinda mentioned yesterday, like I mean he was getting up into his late forties at this point and like boy bands and stuff were all the rage on you know, like on the pop radio stuff. Right. Which it's kinda hard to imagine that just, you know, eight, ten years earlier he was like having number one hits on the pop radio stations. And then, you know, 10 years later, it's, you know, boy bands and looks so different. So, you know, I think he was probably transitioning into, uh, more of his, more of like, I guess, adult alternative middle age music sort of thing and away from the mainstream charts. You know, his career was very impressive because he, he weathered the storm of a lot of eras. You know, that first album came out, it, you know, at a time when you had what we think of as classic rock, you know, the Eagles and Boston, and then he, yeah. he gets he he gets through the punk movement, the new wave movement. He weathers the storm of hair metal, um, right. of grunge, um, and hip hop, and I mean, he stayed relevant through all of that. And at a time, especially in the late '80s, early '90s, when you know everything was Bon Jovi and Def Leppard and Poison. He's putting out full moon fever into the great, you know, wide open, um, yeah. and and it's and it's still relevant. And we talked about this on a podcast once. We did like he's one of those people, regardless of what type of music you listen to. I just have never heard somebody coming. Eh, I don't like Tom Petty. <laughs> you, for the most part, though, I, I used to play Wildflowers so much early in the morning on my way to school, and my brother hated them. But <laughs> it's about the only person I can think of. It probably had more to do with him being in a bad mood early in the morning and that sort of thing. But you know, I guess some people, you know, say his voice is whiny or you know, they don't like that. But it's pretty rare that you hear hear somebody have anything bad to say about him. All right, Dave. So um, we've both read 
Petty's book that came out a couple years ago. And um, have you have you you've watched the Running Down a Dream documentary, right? Oh yeah, many times. <laughs> yeah, all four hours of it. I love it. Uh, I think it's <laughs> I think it's like a top five documentary of all time. But I'm so why don't you set the stage for everybody? to what all is going I mentioned a, a few things, but just yeah. set the stage. What's going on in his personal life and what's going on in his band life and how do those intersect when this album is recorded? Yeah. So like we said, uh, he had, he had, um, you know, like the band part of it, Howie Epstein had been struggling with heroin for several years and, and he was in really bad shape at this point to the point that, um, he didn't even make the, the, photo shoot for the album cover and they kind of left him off. And I think it sort of, you know, symbolically is, is moving on and, and seeing a friend and somebody that you love who you can't help and is just that far down into addiction. And then on a, but he wasn't really in a whole lot of, of a great place himself because as he, he got into in his uh, biography um, that uh, Warren Zanes wrote a few years ago, and, and he, for the first time, opened up about his struggles during that time with heroin addiction as well. And he had just, uh, he, had, he and his wife had been struggling for years and years, and he finally um, uh, split from her and, and had moved out and was just, you know, just going through the transition that, that it is to, to go through a divorce like that with kids and he was living alone for the first time in his life. And like he talked about like how he didn't even know how to like go get food or get groceries at that point because he'd been in a bubble for so long. Um, and then he also, he actually, he also like actually went into a clinical depression. Like there's a quote in his, in his book where he's in therapy and his, his therapist tells him that, that people who are as depressed as him just don't live long. And that like that he was, you know, I guess on top of the, uh, the clinical depression that he was also using heroin to try to numb all of the pain and was just completely isolated. And, um, you know, really it could have, could have gone a lot worse. Like he, he got really fortunate that he was able to, uh, to, to, to break that. And he went in for a, a detox treatment. He said where they just like put him asleep to sleep for like two days and it flushed everything out. And then he had to take a anti-opioid pill for three months every day. Um, so he wouldn't relapse. Um, and so, um, you know, he's just, he was in a really fragile, um, transition place in his life. And, and I think you can really, really hear it in the music as far as, um, you know, where, where he's at with, uh, with some of the, the depths of, of, uh, of everything he was struggling with at the time. Well, my takeaway from all of the drug, the, the drug use was, I feel like he caught it so early on that, he never really had the consequences that a lot of people that are doing heroin have to deal with. You know, it did, it didn't seem to me, and, and like I said, it's been a while since I read the book, but it didn't seem to me like, you know, he wasn't like, you know, Nikki six, a Motley crew or, you know, some of these other guys where it's just completely taken over their life and they're just making these horrible, horrible decisions and, you know, ODing and stuff like that. Am, am I wrong in thinking that or, or, I think he does like he mentions how like it's pretty weird for you know like somebody that's in their like late forties to start dabbling in heroin like you know usually you think it's he wasn't doing it to party like right put it that way like he was just he was in a depression and just was doing it to numb out but but I think though to the extent of it like he talked about he tried kicking it several times tried to do less he said and thinking he could wean his way off of it and 
he, he said he ends up going to his therapist and telling him like, look, I'm, I'm a drug addict and I don't want to be like, I need help. Like, so I don't think it was like that he was just kind of dabbling and I think he was pretty in the grips of things, but it is, but not in like you say, like not in a motley crew, like party way. I think he just, the way that he, he frames it in the book is that, that he just would stay in bed for days at a time and just try to numb out. Yeah. Yeah, he got lucky because it, it doesn't—it doesn't sound like he went through a lot of the failed, you know, intervention failures that a lot of people have to go through before they before they finally kick it. Yeah, I mean, he—he—he he, he, the way he put it is you know, like he, he knew at some point that he had kind of lost his soul, but he you know still could see it enough that he 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 wanted to crawl back out of it and didn't want to just succumb to that that was just the way that his life was going to go, and so. Um, and he, and he also talks about how originally in the, he talked about it in the documentary and then afterwards in the editing, he asked for it to be left out just because he wasn't, you know, he just wasn't ready for it. And he, his fear was that, was that young people would, would hear that, that Tom Petty, you know, that he did it and was able to get over it and that they would say like, well, you know, if Tom Petty can mess around with heroin, then, then certainly I can do it and kick it too. And he just like, he, his fear was that, if he talked about it in the documentary, that that's the way it would be taken. And so, you know, 10 years or so later when this book came out, he was kind of able to, to, to talk about it a little bit more. All right, Dave. So like we said, it's a long album, um, yeah. running time and, um, uh, number of songs. So what we're going to do is we're just going to break down each song and give our thoughts on them. And, and so, like we said, it's like 14 or 15 songs. Um, the first song is room at the top. And I have here in my notes that this is an interesting choice for an album opener, especially you think, you know, even like mellow musicians, their first song usually usually is somewhat more upbeat. Um, and um, my kind of interpretation of it, it's somebody that's, no, that's got some bad stuff going on and they're just, for a moment, able to completely get away from it and forget about their um, their cares uh, and all their problems in the world, even if it's just for a little bit of, you know, for one night. Um, like I said, even if it's just for a short time. Um, and I think it kind of sets the tone for the album. Um, kind of the way I interpret the flow of this album, you tell me if you interpret it differently, it's kind of almost like he knows something, something bad is about to happen and he just wants to get away for a little bit. And, um, and this is him getting away from reality um for the, for a night or so um, what are your thoughts yeah i mean i guess no like at the time he didn't know what he was going through but i mean it could be the room at the top could you know symbolize checking out on drugs and just not wanting to to deal with reality or um it could or it could be you know like the clouds part and, and you've got a some some clarity and some peace and you're just trying to take a deep breath and and sort of uh you know, sit in that for a minute with all the chaos swirling around you. So, um, there's definitely, I think as we, you know, we get through the album, there's lots of, there's lots of ups and downs and like where you, you it, lyrically, like where you can see things are about to break and part. And then, you know, there's other times where it's just down and in, in complete despair. So, um, it's very, I, I think maybe it's, uh, I guess maybe to, to sum up lyrically and how this song, um, sets the tone of like it's it's a person who you know he knows that what this relationship or and everything that's going on around them 
is is over and you're trying to figure out how to face it but you're you know, you're not who you were but you don't know how who you're going to be yet right and i think this as far as like successful of the successful as far as success goes of the singles i would say this is probably the one that got the most airplay wouldn't you you know, I don't. I, I have a hard time. Maybe it, it varied some, but I don't remember hearing it a whole lot on the radio, to be honest. But um, I, I probably varied just depending on where you're at. Yeah, I don't think any of the singles really charted that high. But um, yeah, uh, one of the better songs on the album. Um, when oh I, yeah, it's well, great. Did one, you ever? Did you hear uh, Jason Isbell played it um, at the Ryman a few years ago when it was like a couple weeks after petty had died i I did see that yeah it was i think he said it was his favorite petty song and he did a different petty song at the encore every night and they he just they played this on the tom petty radio uh on sirius xm isbel's version of it every once in a while i'll catch it it's really good yeah you're right uh jason isbel he can do he he can he can do no wrong most of the time um all right the second song is a song called counting on you um and I don't I don't particularly care for this song and I feel like whatever key this is written in or or I'm not a musician but I feel like Petty has a song that sounds kind of like this on every one of his albums hmm. um and um my interpretation of the song is he's got a good idea that somebody's cheating on him and uh but he still has faith that maybe they're they're not and he's counting on them not to break his heart and let him down um what yeah what say you yeah i I was kind of saying the same thing that it's it's he's come down from the room at the top already um the second song in the room at the top was sort of taking a deep breath and exhaling like this song i feel like has like the undertones of some dread and paranoia and, and anxiousness of uh you know just not being able to to trust whoever this person it's called counting on you, but it doesn't sound like he's too sure it's going to work out. Right. Yeah. It sounds like that's more like a wish instead of yeah, a statement of fact. The next song is, uh, is one of my favorites on the album. Uh, free girl. Now interesting tidbit. This was the second song ever released for free by an artist on the internet. And Petty released it for free. And then Warner brothers, kind of freaked out and they took the song down after two days. Hmm. Um, and I thought that was kind of interesting that he did that because, you know, his next album was going to be the last DJ, which really kind of bemoans all of the problems he foresees in the record industry. And my understanding is that Petty was always like, you know, a real big advocate of artist rights. And I don't think, I don't, I don't think, it make it doesn't make sense to me that he would want something to be given away for free when, you know, like if you read in the book or whatever, whatever he's, you know, he was very concerned early on about him writing all the songs and then other people getting credit for them, you know, so much so that he made them address that, you know, the, when they, before they recorded the first album. And so I thought that was a little out of character for him, but, um, it, it like I said, it was a single, it's an upbeat, it's an upbeat sounding song. Uh, my takeaway is that this is when he's ended the relationship and he's just like, go on about your way. Um, yeah. Um, like kind I, of a, you know, ahead. it's kind of a goodbye and good riddance. Um, yeah. And like I said, it's one of my three favorite songs uh, on the album. And it's one 
that um that you know I, I have in rotation on my petty playlist on Spotify that I listen to a lot, but um it sounds upbeat, you know. He's he's one of those guys that has the knack. He can write something that's lyrically kind of depressing, but the delivery of it kind of uh mitigates that at times. Uh, uh this kind of has like almost an arena rock feel to it. Like it would be this would play well to an arena. Yeah, it's got a great just that just a great simple riff like almost oh, almost sounds like a acdc riff or something where it's just kind of simple and repetitive and catchy in that way just as far as like a just straightforward re- repeating guitar riff sets the tone and then like you said he's got a he's got it's like a sarcastic kiss off sort of of uh he's got a real his delivery has a extra bit of snarl and sort of sarcasm thing to it that uh yeah he's 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 trying on bachelorhood and his freedom maybe and, and, and yeah and I, I and i kind of take it as a little bit of a to his wife be careful what you ask for yeah you know i think yeah right there's definitely something to there's like a warning in saying you're a free girl now as opposed to uh it just being like uh you know uh it's not a gentle push off i don't think no, uh, and that leads us into one of the more depressing songs on an <laughs> album full of depressing songs, um, Lonesome Sundown. I can appreciate this song, but it's not one that I listen to a lot, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I can see what you mean. It's. I think it, uh, I, I, I appreciate the, I think the musicianship in it, like it's got, just kind of like almost like a country ballad with the it's got some pedal steel in there and then uh on the chorus like you mentioned howie epstein earlier like as bad a shape he was as he was in it's got these really pretty like high harmonies that he that he chimes in on that i think really add a lot to the song and um um i almost like i, I made a note that it almost sounded like it could have been on like uh like the late nineties sort of like whiskey town, Ryan Adams type of like, yeah, I can see that straight up, straight up sort of country ballad. Yeah. Um, and as far as the, the one lyric in it that I think is, is, is pretty poignant is, is just, you know, the, the refrain of saying it's a lonesome sundown and the way he, he answers himself is saying, this is going to be hard. Like he keeps saying that over and over. Like he's like, you know, he maybe the song before he's, he's kicked out the, the girl and he's, he's facing off, you know, it's, he's seeing these new possibilities and feeling free, but now it's the sun's going down and he's alone and like facing up to like, like, Oh yeah. Like the sun's going down and I'm by myself and I got to face up to whatever this new loneliness is. Well, that leads to one of my top five Tom Petty songs ever. And that is swinging. Um, it's a standout track for me, um, and it almost doesn't seem. It seems like it's out of place on this album. Um, I love the harmonica on it. I love the groove um, that the band lays down, and you know, Mike Campbell obviously is capable of doing whatever he wants to on the guitar, but he's kind of almost more famous for what he doesn't do. You know, yeah, it's not a a, a band that really elicits a lot of solos out out of him, but um 
he does have a great solo on this album. I mean, on this on this song, and I put the band does a great job of creating a sonic landscape in the background for him to really kind of showcase some of his guitar talent. Um, this song has not been played that much live, um, and Petty they just this album was so painful to him that he just never enjoyed playing these songs. And I think once they got past the tour for it, um, you know. Room at the top would pop up every now and then, and every now and then swinging would come up, but for the most part, not. But this was uh, this was a song that I I think should have been bigger on the radio than what it actually was. I agree, man. This is if if somebody like forced me and held me down and made me say like I might say this is my favorite song of his ever. So well, we didn't even talk about that ahead of time. So it's definitely top five, maybe. Like yeah, this one. The first time I heard it, I remember it just was like hypnotic. Like I could, it was, it got under my skin and I listened to it like crazy. Yeah. And you know, it's largely, like we said, it's largely forgotten, um, you know, by by him and, and, and the band. And like I said, Mike Campbell, just a great guitar player and he really gets to shine, uh, on this one. Um, it's interesting. You and I both feel so strongly about it. Um, I, I think it's a lot of different things. Um, do you, did you have something else you wanted to, no, uh-uh. to go there on? Or, um, but well, first of all, like the I wrote, like I made a note of uh, I, I I play guitar off and on and stuff, and I I would try to learn guitar solos that I really you know like moved me. And I remember learning this one note for note, and I was struck with like how it's like really easy, like it's it's, it's amazingly simple, and and I feel like that speaks to um, you know, like just his Campbell's playing is just so tasteful and it's not flashy, but like he just always plays just the right thing. And I remember thinking that you know, like when you try to learn, learn something like it's going to ruin the mystery of, of it, but it, it made me appreciate it even more of just like how simple it was and how like you just, you can hum it and you can hear it in your head. And, you know, and it's a, one of the longer songs in, in the catalog. Yeah, um, you're right. It, which is, yeah. which is, Great, since it's one of my favorite songs. The next song is Accused of Love. Um, I have notes here. I have sonically and lyrically, this sounds like it could have been a holdover from the She's the One sessions. And I've got, this is just a classic Tom Petty pop song. Yeah, I think, like you said, it just, it sounds, it, I, it sounds like something he could just like wake up and like knock out in an hour or something. Like it's just sort of, yeah, you could hear this on on any of his, but not not in like it's a lazy way. It's just like the guy just has like such a knack for for melody, and there's like a pre-chorus in it, and it it's got like that kind of birds like kind of country rock jingle jangle twelve string thing going on. And um, you know, um, the the writer in his book made the point, and I think that it's it's appropriate here, is that like he had been so like he had worked up almost like s- such a muscle of, of creativity and songwriting for 20 some years at this point that even though he was so sick and, and not at his best, like it was like he had, he just had, he could still just like make like a perfect, like Tom Petty pop song just cause he was like, that was just what he'd been doing for so long that he could still do it even though he wasn't doing well. It's an amazing talent he had. Um, to be able to do that, I, 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 he probably wrote this in his sleep. 
Yeah, just that's kind of the way it sounds. It just sounds real easy, and it's a nice little breath of fresh air of some of the uh, the heavier ones. All right, so that leads us to, in my opinion, the centerpiece of the album. Not only the album drawing its name from this song, Echo, um, also in sentiment. Um, it's the longest song in Petty's catalog that I'm aware of, and it's one of the saddest songs that I've ever heard. Um, I believe this is Tom Petty at his most vulnerable. Um, the heartbreak is just palpable throughout the song. Um, and I mean, it's only been played once live and it's just heartbreaking. And I think, I think this is him coming to the, I think this is reality hitting him in the face, um, of what has happened. And, uh, it's just, it's just gut wrenching. That's all I can really say about it. <laughs> What do you make though of the? Do you have any? I don't know, if you're sometimes it, it's it's hard to interpret poetry, but like the the symbolism or like a metaphor of the word echo. Like what do you, do you what do you make of that? I just I think there's two things. I think one is like it's kind of like the echo of an empty home, you know, and then at times I think it's kind of like an echo of an empty relationship and that, that it had been empty for a while. Yeah. And that, that emptiness that's causing the echo had almost become like the new norm. And that's kind of way I've always looked at it. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, definitely. It seems like he's wrestling. Like in some of the verses, there's some promise in there. Like he says, I promise you this winter, I'll worship you like gold. But then, like the very next line, it's it's back to, to I think the a line or two later, he's he's in a pool of sweat and waking up alone, and you know it's back to you know I think there may be still glimpses of of thinking you can give it one more try, but I think you're right. It's it's uh it's like he's the bridge in this song. It's like he's he's trying to trying to fight his way back, but then he still lands back into the it's the same sad echo. Like that, you know, he just, there isn't anything, any, there isn't anything left as much as he's trying to, to see a way out of it. Really just, I, I don't have much else to say other than it's just, it's just gut wrenching To me, it just really strikes a chord with me, the sadness on it. And yeah. it's just heartbreaking. Um, and I can completely understand why he would never want to play this live. Yeah. I, I think you'd feel like you were just standing there naked and just way too exposed. Um, there is a beautiful uh, Mike Campbell guitar outro on it too. That's again just kind of understated, but really sad and pretty. Yeah, you know we've mentioned him a couple of times. He's he's really kind of the the secret weapon, I think, on this album. Yeah, um, he talk. They talk about in the book about with Petty kind of being not as not his usual strength. That he collaborated a lot more with Rick Rubin and kind of was Petty would leave early for the day, and and Campbell was really, I think instrumental in helping this thing even get done but but he's he even says in it that he can't he just can't stand to listen to most of it just because it was everybody was not in their best best place but man they sure did make some some beautiful music in the middle of that somehow campbell's probably like man i never get to play solos and i get all these tasty solos on this album now we can't play them live yeah right I, and i wonder too if i if he did that because he was kind of acting more in the producer role and was like, well, this is my chance. So, Right. 
Well, the next song uh, won't last long. I've got here. This is a classic Petty Rocker. Um, I have I have in my notes. I could see this being a single. Um, a little bit more encouraging mes- message than the other songs. Um, my kind of interpretation is, hey, things are bad and um, things are rough, but uh, I'm going to turn it around. It's not going to last long. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that this gets to is the universal. I mean, like gets to the same message of uh, like I won't back down or um, you know just the the underdog sort of giving somebody to giving somebody something to hold on to when they're when they've been kicked down and and, and in a place where I mean it's like like just in the same way that arena of twenty thousand people singing I won't back down like this one again kind of has the same sentiment of you know it, it would sound great to to sing along with and people everybody raising their fist and, and wanting to bounce back. See, if I would have been the record company, this may have been my, what I would have done as the lead single. Yeah, I can see that. Like it's, it's this, pretty this or, this or free girl now. All right. So the next song is one is one that I think is like one of the real hidden gems of deep out of deep tracks by Tom Petty. And that's Billy the kid. Um, it's a little more playful of a song, than the other songs on the album. Uh, and I have in my notes that I, it would have fit in on a full moon fever. Um, it's one of the, it's one of the real deep tracks of his that I listened to a pretty good bit. Yeah, me too. There's, I'm, I'm with you. Um, like the, the opening of it start, it almost sounds like, I always think it sounds like born on the bayou a little bit. It's got like that, like yeah. shimmery tremolo uh, guitar thing before the whole thing kicks in. Um, and then again, it's got a lot of, uh, he had a real big thing on this album with, uh, you know, like, uh, whether it's like, so like historical people of like Billy the Kid and then on, on swinging all the people he references, right. like, like, uh, I'm blanking right now, but you know, at the end of it, he shouts out the, went down swinging like Benny Goodman and all these different people. Like he was, right. he was referencing a lot of, uh, a lot of people, a lot of swinging and a lot of, fighting back like Bill kid and like that seems to be in the murk of a lot of this there's a lot of uh, a lot of you know or i'm down and i won't but it won't last long there's you can there's a lot of fighting back and, and not giving up um which leads us to speaking of fighting <laughs> i don't want to fight the uh only song uh that i'm aware of in the petty catalog in which mike campbell or anybody else gets a lead vocal on it um i really like the song it's short um, kind of almost has a uh, a post punk feel to it. Um, I put on here, Campbell um, does a great job on vocals, and it reminds me of late seventies uh, Petty in both tone and vibe. Kind of like uh, I need to know that kind of that type music. Yeah, there's some kind of like urgency and garage rock sort of uh, sort of feel. Like it, it sounds like a probably another one that felt good to just sort of knock out and, and break out at some of these other heavier songs. And, um, yeah, it, it is ironic that it's called, I don't want to fight with all the fighting metaphors right. all well, spread throughout the album. And I feel like they probably bang this out in one or two takes. Yeah, it definitely sounds that way. It just sounds, sounds like a, a quick, quick, easy one to, to knock out. It's not a lot of layers to it. Just, it is what it is. Yeah. All right. Simple straight ahead riff. And yeah, like you said, Campbell knocks it out for his only vocal performance. 
So the next song is called This One's For Me. And I think it's kind of in the same vein as Accused of Love. It's just a classic Tom Petty pop song. Um, and I have on there, you know, while the subject matter is, is somewhat sad, Petty delivers it in like a semi-happy fashion. And kind of my interpretation of it is, I've got all this stuff going on. I've got to take care of me. And this is going to be one of those times in life when I'm going to be selfish and it's going to be all about me. And I've got to do this in order to rebound from everything that I've got going on. Yeah, I think that's a good, uh, yeah, it's like he's carving out something for himself after, you know, he, he says, I threw all I had into the sea and now I want a little back. Like, yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. And it's almost um, like the way he, it's almost like he breaks the fourth wall when, he's, when he tags on and says, I need you see. It's like he's he's really like addressing you directly somehow. It's a, it's a different, different um, I think, lyrical vehicle that he has a real directness to it yeah just another one of those classic petty petty songs um that um if if the subject matter wasn't what it is it, it almost sounds like a happy song uh, for sure yeah I, for whatever reason I, I remember this one really struck me and i liked it a lot just from the beginning like it's just it's very got a real catchy chorus and one we can sing along to even though it is it's pretty bittersweet though yeah, like a lot of songs on this album. Um, all right, so the next song is a song called No More. Um, I have, it's the most stripped down song on the album. Um, and having my notes, I really like the slide acoustic guitar that Mike Campbell plays on it. But uh, this song is just middle of the road for me. I've got nothing special, but nothing bad. Yeah, I I, I had made a note too about how I really like the acoustic slide in it and um kind of reminds me of some of the quieter songs on wildflowers that are real stripped back. Um, and I think that this is also where I think in some, some critics, I think maybe you could say this is where the album is maybe getting a little long and bloated. Like, uh, right. Like, I mean, 15 songs is a lot, but like, it'd be really interesting to think of like, you know, this was in the height of the CD era and you know, like the, you know, you could make a 75 minute album or whatever, but, It'd be, it'd be really painful to try to picture like if this was like a 10 song vinyl album, like how are you going to get rid of five songs on here? Right. But, but at the same time, like it is, it's, it gets, it gets a little long kind of here towards the end, but I don't know how you, I don't know what you'd get rid of. Well, we're getting kind of toward the end, but um, I I don't think, I I think it actually picks up right here with the next song about to give out. Mm-hmm. Um, I have here straight ahead rocker that has arena potential arena rock potential written all over it. Uh, I've got some real sleeper on the album, um, buried it's buried at the end, but it could have been a single. And I have uh, here that has kind of a sloppy garage band feel to it that honestly, it could have sounded like a 1970s era Aerosmith song. That's interesting. I, I, I like seventies era Aerosmith thing, but that, that hadn't occurred to me. Um, any any one any songs in particular that reminds you of? Off the top Just kind of maybe off of that, uh, get your wings to to hmm. rocks or yeah. draw, uh, draw the line on it. That's just kind of that's kind of the vibe that that I get on um, on it. But I mean, you know, everybody has their own interpretation. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I kind of I put that it, it reminds. It sounds like maybe it was just like time to have a weekend away or something, and like I I picture it as like a good road song where you're just 
getting out and, and kicking up some dust and, you know, shaking off some of the cobwebs. And, and again, there's like those shout outs to like Davy Crockett and Roy Rogers on here. And like, I wonder if he almost just like had a, you know, like it's just kind of uncanny how on this album, how many different like kind of historical legendary sort of figures he, he throws out in there. I just wonder if that was like a, an exercise or something they used in the studio where he was just throwing in names that fit. Or like if Ruben just had like challenging, I bet you can't name 50 people on this album. <laughs> it's kind of, it almost feels that way, but, you know, but it's catchy. Yeah, or, like if, it. or if like, you know, a lot of times when they're recording, they'll have the melody, but they won't have the words, you know? Yeah. And they'll just kind of, you know, blah, 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 you know, Benny Goodman, blah, blah, you know, it almost wonders like, you almost wonder like, were they doing that? And it, and it sounded so good. We're just going to throw some names of people in random songs. Well, that's funny that you say that because he talks about um, in the book, Ruben went out and, and got those little uh, like mag- magnet letters like that you put it like a, you know, on a refrigerator or something and put them on a music stand. And he did talk about how they, he would just make words that way and see what fit. He never said anything specifically about, you know, like historical figure names, but it does sound like that to some extent that they did that to help. Uh, with lyrics on here. He talks about that in the book. Well, Dave, if we were going to whittle this down to 10 songs, the next one is a song that I would uh, put on the chopping block immediately. (laughs) Uh, Rhino Skin um, just does nothing for me. Um, I think it's one of the few just all-out misses. I mean, he talks about elephant balls in it. Um, You know. Yeah. uh, You may like it. If you do, that's fine. But I, I just, I think it's a complete throwaway. I used to feel that way. Like I, it was one of those that was an automatic skip. It's late in the album. Like I don't need another sad one, but somehow I've, I've come to appreciate it. I maybe just in the last, as we've, I've been listening to this album a lot the last few weeks since we've been talking about it. And I guess there's a part of me that at, at 41 years of age appreciates it more than 21. As far as like, I like the line he says, you'll need Eagles wings to get over things that make no sense in this world. Like I, I feel like that's kind of a, a poignant and, and, uh, and pretty good lyric. And, well, and he, um, he named, he named, instead of name checking famous people, he name checks animals in this song. Right. Yeah. Right. It's like, the, you know, using the rhino skin as a symbol and, uh, elephant balls. If you don't want to crawl, <laughs> I don't know. I get it. It's, yeah. It's, it's not, it definitely isn't like catchy at all, but I, something about it. Uh, you get you gotta you gotta wonder if they if he was heavy into the wacky weed one night, and it's like I'm gonna write this song and drop elephant balls in it. Could uh, be if he can get the band and everybody to laugh. And yeah, they caught it. All right, so that's song number fourteen, and the last song is "One More Day, One More Night." Uh, it's a slow way um, to end the album. Um, I kind of take it. It's him saying goodbye and I'm going to move on and, you know, take it one day at a time. And, uh, I have on here a very nice lead solo by Mike Campbell to play the song out. Yeah. I, I made a note of that too. And, um, this is another one I think that, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, it kind of dragged on and I wasn't into, but as I've listened to it more, um, I've come to really appreciate. And I think, yeah, it sounds like a, a breaking point where, He's just trying to put one foot in front of the other, and you know, one more night, one more day, one more night is you know, it's pretty like it's it's not trying to do um, 
he, he doesn't have any answers at this point. He's just trying to get through a day at a time. And, um, yeah, the la- I, I, I made a note too. like the last two minutes. Um, he just keeps saying over and over one more night, one more day. And almost like I, I put it like, there's like a, almost like it reminds me of like a, a Psalm, like from the Bible. And like David is just like screaming out in the cave and like, and just in pain and just, just begging for some some sign and, and the whole time that like you said that guitar solo that Mike Campbell's playing is just sort is it's filling in just this there's like this pleading and and uh kind of restlessness and helpless. I thought it was really really powerful. I listened to it a lot this week actually. Yeah it's a it's a it's a good song. Um it's a nice way I think to um end the album both from a lyrical and, and musical um point of view. Um, you know, I, I text you last night about this and see, kind of get your thoughts. I feel like Petty did a great job throughout his career of picking the right songs to be singles off his albums. But I feel like they kind of shot and missed on this. Do you think they did? Or do you think it's just where the music business was at the time as to why they these songs? Or do you think it's because, for the most part, it's a very down album? That's a good question. I, I mean, I, I definitely think some of the ones that you, uh, that you mentioned, like, you know, like accused of love or, um, um, about to give out or something like those seem like they could have been catchier, um, radius, but you wonder, I don't know if at that point, if like that the record label just picks what it is, or part of me wonders if maybe he wouldn't, he didn't really care if this album was a big hit just because of where he was at and he didn't really want to bring a whole lot of attention to, to singing these songs anyway. I, I don't know. I, that's, I'm not really sure about that, but uh, they definitely get that you know, the, the ones that they did choose for the singles didn't really have a lot of traction, but it definitely it was a real transitional time in the music industry at the time. So it's, I don't know. You're right though. Like every other album up to that point, they were just obvious slam dunks. Well, where does this album fall for you with in, in if you had to rank your petty albums? Uh, I I mean I think and Wildflowers is one. Um and so I think that I've probably listened to this one the second most. And so if I had to if it was like framed you know, like this isn't one that I want to listen to on like a happy summer drive. Right. But like for all the, for all the like baggage the, and like how I sort of frame it in my life, I would probably have to say it's, it's my second favorite top to bottom. Yeah. I think I'm kind of the same way you are. Kind of, I guess it depends on what kind of mood I'm in. Um, yeah. I'm, but I'm, this isn't one I'm going to, if I'm driving through the countryside, this isn't one I'm going to put on and, you know, enjoy the ride. Um, and like I said, largely forgotten by the band. Yeah. And I, and I think part of it too, is that, um, you know, it's, it's when it's the age you are when you hear it and being that, you know, it's kind of in my musical coming of age time that I think that the feelings about it are a lot stronger as opposed to if it came out at a different stage in my life too. Yeah, I, I can see that. And it, like I said, it, it was several years before I grew to appreciate it. Just, because it was kind of a, a Debbie Downer of an album. And then, you know, everything else was going on in my life with that was in the middle of my just becoming a 
Black Crow's Uber fan. Um, and so during that time frame, all I listened to was the Crows or, yeah, well, you know, kind of like Crows related material, you know? Yeah. No, um, I actually got to see in uh, 2005, I got to see the Crows open for the Tom Petty on that tour. That's what I was about to ask you. How were, was that like a greatest hit set list, set list by the Crows? Um, no, not exactly. I think they played like, uh, I want to say they opened like with don't do it. And, oh yeah. The, uh, the, uh, yeah. That was when the, well, that would have been when Ford came back. Right. Yep. It was like right in that beautiful little, it had been like June or July of 2005 when they were just kind of getting back together right then. Yeah. I remember, but, I remember being kind of disappointed that they were, you know, going to be an opening band, but it's Tom Petty. I'm sure. I mean, they, I'm sure they're fans of Petty just like we are. Yeah, I think I don't think that's one you can you can say no to. Um, how many how many times did uh, did you get to see Petty? Uh, only once, and it was on the uh, the last tour. I saw him oh, wow. uh, in Memphis, and um, it was. I mean, he's been on my bucket list for forever. I, I'm basically down. There's. I was down to Petty, Aerosmith, and Pearl Jam that I haven't seen, and uh, got to scratch Petty off that list. Uh, I was completely mesmerized during the whole show, and one of the things that struck me was just all he did was play hits for two for two two and a half hours, and um, I think it was like four songs in, he either played Free Fallen or Mary Jane's Last Dance. And I looked at Chris, who does the podcast with me. I go, how many people can play Free Fallen at song number five in a concert? Yeah, right. That's usually going to be the encore or most, know, you're saving that for yeah, last. Yeah, most people, most people, that's the go home song. And for mm-hmm. him, it's just like, yeah, it's just, it's just slot number five. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, it just, it just struck me like how deep his catalog is because I think the only song that he played that wouldn't have been that was a deep track that people I think he played Crawling Back to You off Wildflowers but even that you know people knew Um, you know and his death honestly probably affected me and hit me more than any other musician that's died in my lifetime me too Um, not even close just because like we said, he's kind of ubiquitous. I mean, everybody likes him. Um, and, you know, I said one time, on, I think it was on one of our podcasts, I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back on it now, he's kind of the soundtrack to my life. Yeah. Like his music was always in the background, even if it wasn't like, even if I wasn't like as devoted to Tom Petty as I was, you know, the Black Crows or some other bands. You know, starting for me, starting with Full Moon Fever, he was always at the forefront of of music. And then, of course, you know, he's getting played on classic rock radio, you know, with the American Girl and, uh, you know, Breakdown and even the Losers and stuff like that. And so I just feel like from like 77 on, he was just part of the collective, the collective sonic land- landscape in America. No doubt about it. Um yeah, just on he and on a broad level, like I think that there's a, a, a lot of people like you can be a fan and know the like radio hits and the classic rock station hits and stuff and like, but then there's um you know then 
if you get into like the deep cuts and stuff, I remember getting his, uh, the, his playback box set when I was like 18 years old and just like, I mean, it's like six discs and I ate the whole thing up. Like I remember just being blown away. Like after I'd only heard the hits and being like, I mean, this guy just has songs for days and for whatever mood you're in. And, and I'm with you when, when he, I don't usually ever, I mean, I get, sad and reflective when musicians or people die that I don't know. But, but when he died, like I, it felt like, uh, just it's, it, it somehow I, I feel like I lost somebody who, uh, like had been on the, the journey with me and I, I was really, really bummed for, for a while. And I feel like I listened to him and appreciate him even more now than I did when he was alive because of it. Oh, I completely, completely agree. Um, you know, and the, it was so cool to see the tributes everywhere from like Coldplay played I Want Back Down to, you know, I thought it was really touching the, you know, at the Florida game, they, the, the whole, the whole crowd sings I Want Back Down. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's perfect. Um, yeah. yeah if, I, you, if you get a chance, go see that Coldplay playing I Want Back Down. It's really good. And like you said, Isbell played all that. I know, uh, the Mule they played, I think they played like Breakdown and, you know, it was just, Tom Petty tributes everywhere. I got I I saw Wilco at the Fox Theater like a week afterwards, and, and they encored with uh, um, even the losers, and it was you know just not a just you know chills, not a dry eye in the house. Very cool, very cool. Well, Dave, um, just as with our last episode, uh, I really enjoy I really enjoyed having you on talking um, about one of our favorite albums. Yeah, man, let's let's do it again, and maybe not one that's so sad sometime. <laughs> oh, I completely agree. Um, as you were texting me yesterday, all the all the different bands you liked, or whatever, and I was like, oh, we haven't disagreed on anything yet till you came to Steely Dan. Uh, <laughs> that's right. And no, uh, no. that maybe maybe that can be, like you said, maybe that can be the subject of a podcast. Uh, like you said, uh, have you on anytime you want to, um, especially doing these, uh, these album reviews. I, I really enjoy these and, um, uh, you much more articulate than me and, and, and add, uh, definitely add some, uh, some knowledge and, uh, to, to it more than, than I do at times. So yeah, we'll just, uh, we'll just stay in touch and we'll just, um, we'll find some other albums that we both feel strongly one way or the other about and, uh, do some more of these in the future. How's that sound? Awesome, man. I never get tired of uh, talking and listening to music in depth like that. All right, everybody. Uh, That's Dave Chamberlain uh, talking Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers album Echo. Uh, We'll have him on again in the future. And uh, like I said, we'll find another album that uh, that we both like. I do want to ask you to follow us on Twitter at Digital Killed, like our page on Facebook. Uh, Follow us on Instagram and subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you so choose. Chris and I will be back with you next week. Take care, everybody.